This week, as we prepared for these covenant baptisms, it dawned on me how important Jeremiah 31 is for most of us in our understanding of who is to be included in God's visible and local church. And so this morning, we're going to take a break, continue to take a break in our series on 1 Corinthians to look at this crucial passage to understanding covenant baptism. And in so doing, also help us understand that an understanding of the covenantal work of God provides a comfort in the time of tragedy and loss. It teaches us that God is the one who unifies and sanctifies his people and the covenant of God secures our salvation and it ensures our ultimate satisfaction. Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Podcast. We're glad you joined us. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityawasso.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. So, if you are willing and able, would you stand with me as I read from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 down through verse 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Father in heaven, would you now take your word and would you shape us and mold us and make us more like your son, having reflected on it? And would you change us on the spot? Would you renew us by the power of the Holy Spirit? And would you help us to see that your covenant faithfulness to your people is not just some esoteric, abstract doctrine, but that you intended it to always comfort your people and to give them hope. And so do so now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The boundless depths of God's covenant faithfulness secures and connects his community. Question. What is more than 100 miles long, twice as wide as this room, stands 10 stories tall, 
incorporates half a million tons of steel and took only four years to build. There are bridges. There are very long bridges. And then there is the Dangyang Kushan Grand Bridge, the world's longest and largest bridge. The Grand Bridge, as I'll call it, connects the Chinese cities of Nanjing to Shanghai. And as you can imagine, it crosses a startling array of terrains. Rice paddies, farms, winding streams, and roaring rivers, and undulating hills, and busy canals, and broad lakes, and yawning chasms. And the Grand Bridge doesn't just involve one gaping span of 100 miles. Instead, it's built on the model of a viaduct with 9,500 piers along its 102.4-mile stretch, which allows for it to rise and fall with terrain, and it even factors in the curvature of the earth. And looking at it is breathtaking. Now, here's a question for you. Is the Grand Bridge one unified structure? Or is the bridge made up of many little bridges unique to what has gone on before it? Or, if it's something in between, how do the pieces of the bridge relate to each other to make safe passage for all who travel on it? When it comes to the story of God's people in the Bible, we have something like the Grand Bridge. Like a very, very long bridge, the very long history of God's people in communion with God has pieces that connect together to form one unified story, and those pieces are called covenants. And rather than take four years, God has led us by way of covenants for 4,000 years and growing. And there are three reasons why you need to know about covenants that I mentioned earlier before I read the scripture. Number one, that the covenants of God provide comfort to us in the times of tragedy and loss. Number two, the covenants of God teach us that God is the one who unifies and sanctifies his people. Sets them apart as his own. And number three, the covenants of God secure our salvation and ensure our ultimate satisfaction. So I want to take you upon Scripture, this grand bridge, and I want us to examine how the parts of it are connected to make one unified railway to bring us from garden to the city of the new Jerusalem. So would you look at the text with me? The new covenant of God provides comfort to us in times of tragedy and loss. In the context of Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah is writing amidst a time of great national, social, and personal loss for the people of Israel. In the decades before the exile of the southern kingdom of Judah, Jeremiah, who was an Israelite priest, calls Judah to repent and to turn back to the Lord, lest they, like their northern counterpart Israel, who was taken into captivity by the Assyrians 150 years earlier, find themselves exiled from their land. And indeed, Jeremiah went so far as to say the specific people group who would come and take 
and siege Jerusalem, the Babylonians. And indeed, before Jeremiah's own death, he watched this prophecy take place before his very eyes. That's why he lamented outside the city and wrote the book, Lamentations, weeping over Jerusalem as he watches Jerusalem besieged. And his message is one of judgment. The picture is of uprooting and tearing down all through Jeremiah. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 2, it says, Behold, be utterly shocked, the Lord says, because my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. And all throughout the first half of the book of Jeremiah, it's all about uprooting and tearing up and tearing away. And then beginning in verse uh, chapter 30 of Jeremiah, he writes what is now known by scholars as the book of consolation. He takes chapters 30, 31, 32, and 33, and he gives a little glimmer of hope for, for Judah and for Israel. And in that little chapter, those sections on hope, there is nestled in there a verse, a series of verses that have become famously known as the New Covenant. Where Jeremiah says, my Father in heaven, the Lord God, is faithful. He promised something to Abraham, and though his people have broken it, he will be the one with his steadfast love to ensure that they are ultimately able to dwell securely in the land, which is a metaphor for being in his presence forever. And this new covenant is like a new section, if you will, on the grand bridge of redemptive history. And I want to talk about the new covenant because the way that you understand the new covenant will begin to make, help you make sense of why we do things like infant baptisms. Because if you believe that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, the New Covenant, it gets this language of Old Testament, New Testament, from Jeremiah chapter 31. If you believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament, the New Testament is simply a replacement of the Old Testament, then you are going to look in the New Testament for a place where it explicitly tells you to baptize children. But, if you read that the New Testament is simply a continuation or an extension of the Old Testament, you will look for a place in the New Testament where it explicitly tells you to stop including children in the covenant community. So my point is, we either viewed this giant bridge of redemptive history as one unified structure, or we view it as, as pieces separate and unique, all to be understood on their own span in different ways. And we as Reformed people, as covenantal people, believe that the Bible is one unified story. It is not a book that contains many, many stories. It is one story that contains 66 books, Genesis through Revelation. And so when you begin to see that Jeremiah chapter 31 actually speaks to those who have placed their faith in Jesus, yes. But it also speaks of all of those who continue to be included in his covenant community, namely the children. And that one day in glory, all these covenant promises will indeed be theirs. So, Jeremiah chapter 31 is this glimmer of hope amidst this very uh, difficult book of judgment and gloom. And he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new 
covenant. Borit Hadashah in Hebrew. The word new there doesn't mean brand new or new in space and time. The word new means renewed, which is one of our problems often when we talk about the new covenant. We think it means brand new. It's, it's, it's more like a used car than it is a brand new car off the lot. It is renewed. Um, when Ezekiel spoke of God giving his people a new spirit and a, re- a new heart, he talked about them given a renewed spirit. Same word, a renewed heart. When Isaiah spoke of God's intervention to free his people, he talked about it being a new thing, Isaiah chapter 43, by being renewed in God's covenant love. When Isaiah looked forward to a new heavens and a new earth, they would be a renewal of heaven and earth, not a brand new place. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And this earth will be renewed. Of the eight times in the New Testament that the term new is applied to the new covenant, seven of those times use the word kainos, which means renewed or new in quality, not brand new or new in time. That would be a different word altogether. Neos would be the word they would use in that case. And the language of new covenant means that there was a pre-existing covenant with, with which I, Jeremiah pulls from and which Jesus would later fulfill. Jesus gives a qualitative difference. He, he will put a, a new law in the hearts of his people. He will connect Jeremiah connects us to the Mosaic law where God gave the law to his people to be obeyed. But here he says, they will have a new law. I will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah after those days declare the Lord. I'll put the law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Which is to say that what is new about the new covenant is not that God will be with his people, but that he will give us the possession and the promise of his Holy Spirit. And that we will be regenerated by the Spirit. And whereas the Old Testament was written on stone, the Ten Commandments, the New Testament is written on the heart. It goes from the external to the internal. And we are renewed. What else does it say? It says not only are we renewed, but it says later, it says, for everybody will, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother. First of all, who did the teaching in the ancient world, who taught in Israel? The priests, right? The Levites. And so he says, and no longer shall the priests teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. Not only is God's covenant faithfulness just embodied in the priests' teaching, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, it involves everybody. And when he says, from the least to the greatest, we tend to think that, well, the New Covenant says, well, certainly everybody who, who is part of God's visible community will have placed their faith in Jesus. But that is not what this text says. From the least to the greatest refers to a class of people. The least, the greatest, always refers to classes of people. And my point in mentioning that is to say that no longer are the priests the one who know the Lord, but all the laity know the Lord also, all the laymen, everybody. 
And not only when Paul comes along does Paul say it's not just the priests, not just the laity, but Paul says after Jesus that it goes wide to the world, that the dividing wall of hostility, Ephesians chapter 2, has come down. So that no longer is it just the Jew who knows the Lord, but the Gentile does either. So Jeremiah 31 expands the bridge of redemptive history where you begin to see that now it's not just for the ticket holders of Israel, but it's for everybody who by faith is part of that covenant community. And, as has always been included, and their children. And Jeremiah goes to pains throughout the text to say that they will all know me. But do we all know the Lord perfectly now? Well, no, of course not. And many people think Jeremiah 31 says that, well, all will know the Lord. Like, right now, we'll all know the Lord. Well, that's not true. We still need teachers to help us understand the Lord. What Jeremiah is saying and what Jesus himself confirms is that he is the new covenant by his blood and that by faith in him, he extends the covenant promise to us and to all of those in our house, as has always been the case. And he extends that to us by way of faith, not by adhering to the Mosaic law. So, the new covenant is not a brand new covenant. It is a renewed covenant. And the new covenant involves the community and the individual, just like the old covenant did. Sometimes people will say to me, well, the Old Testament dealt with the nation of Israel, but the New Testament deals with the people of God. That's not true. The Old Testament dealt with the nation of Israel and the individual. Ezekiel chapter 16 describes the nation of Israel as a bride adorned for her husband who then gives herself to, as a harlot gives herself away, to other idols. And in very graphic detail, Ezekiel 16 tells us what our hearts are like before the Lord, our husband. And right after Ezekiel chapter 16, you have Ezekiel 18, where the Lord says, and the soul, singular, the soul who sins shall die. So the Lord has always operated with corporate identity and individual responsibility. And he has marked us out with a sign of our corporate identity, that is baptism, just like he gave to Abraham to give to Ishmael and to Isaac and to all of his children. And his children gave it to their children. And their children gave it to theirs until the coming of the New Testament when circumcision was replaced by baptism as a sign that can be given not only to little boys, but also to little girls and to all who are far off that they may be brought in to the people of God. And the New Covenant, friends, is incredibly comforting to us in times of tragedy because you know what it reminds us of? It reminds us that though we are faithless and oftentimes unfaithful to our Lord, He remains faithful to us and He will fight for us. No-fault divorce in this country was introduced in 1970. And it was introduced and signed into effect by a man most of us in this room know named Ronald Reagan when he was governor of California, a divorced man himself. 
And New York was actually the last state in 2010 to allow for no-fault divorce. And in this country, no-fault divorce simply allows you, and in some states it requires, it restricts you from giving a reason for your divorce. It just allows you to say it didn't work out. It allows you to walk away from your marriage vows and just leave, just walk out. Don't have to have a reason. There's no fault. Nobody's fault. Just get divorced. But what Scripture says is the Lord... He is the faithful husband to you and he doesn't believe in no-fault divorce. In fact, he comes to you even if he has a reason for divorce and he does, our sin. And he clings to us and he holds us and he secures us in his harm. So there is nothing you can do to separate you from God's love. Nothing you can do to separate you from God's love except the unpardonable sin, which is the utter refusal to place your faith in Jesus and say, no, thank you. I'll give it a go on my own. And C.S. Lewis famously said that God will either say, we will either say to God, thy will be done, or God will say to us, thy will be done. But God's covenant faithfulness and his new covenant secures for us the blessing that he will be faithful to us to the very end, especially in times of tragedy and loss. The covenant of God also teaches us, the new covenant, that God is the one who unifies and sanctifies his people. Friends, Jeremiah chapter 31 is not suggesting that everybody that, are, that is part of Jesus' visible body is going to have a regenerate personal faith in the Lord Jesus in this life. Now for us to see. It says ultimately that in glory, what has begun now Though we see through a glass darkly, one day God will complete when he brings all of his elect into his covenant community. And he is beginning that process now in the visible church. But it includes those who have personal faith and their children, just like it always has. And we know this to be true no matter what church you go to. If you intend for your church to only include those who place their faith in the Lord Jesus, that are born-again believers. Well, certainly we all have examples of people who have said that they professed faith in Jesus and then later showed themselves to actually not believe and their faith wasn't sincere. And so even in the churches where it is the greatest intent for them to have people only who are members who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus, it's still mixed, isn't it, at best? And we believe the Bible allows us to be honest about that because God's visible church has always included believers and their children. And in the context of that corporate community, we want to help our children see and savior the goodness of Jesus. We want to disciple them. We want the church to be one way to get around them, to get our arms around them even more than, than their discipleship on YouTube or their discipleship in the world can possibly get. That we want to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and frame their life with regard to the greatest news of the world, that Jesus loves them and he has brought them into a covenant community. Because you know what really helps you in the midst of your depression? What really helps you in the midst of your marriage struggles? Is the fact that you have a covenant community who's honest enough to say, hey, I'm a far bigger sinner and I'm here to help bear burdens together with you in our community group, in our church, in the way we love each other, and the way he takes the disparate group of people Radically diverse politically, radically diverse racially, radically diverse in where we live, radically diverse economically, and he brings them together and he says, this, these are going to be my called out people to strengthen and sanctify you. 
And what happens in the group, in your midst, in church, is beautiful. You're going to have children, and you're going to raise your children up. We're going to set them apart to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're going to celebrate when children come to the Lord's table. These are the liturgies and the practices that sanctify God's people and make us wholly different from the world, just like Israel was from their pagan neighbors. So the new covenant encourages us because of God's unrelenting covenant love in times of tragedy and loss. It's a picture of God unifying his people even though we broke the covenant that is the Mosaic covenant. We disobeyed God. God is going to renew his covenant love to us by saying, yes, one day you will fully know me. And not only that, but the new covenant secures our salvation and it ensures our ultimate satisfaction. At least three New Testament writers declare that faith in the Messiah is the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is quoted in whole or in part seven times in the New Testament, in the writings of Luke and in Paul and the author of Hebrews. Jesus calls the cup of the Last Supper, what? The new covenant in my blood, a reference back to Jeremiah chapter 31. Paul refers to those words of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul speaks of himself and of his company as ministers of a new covenant. And the writer of Hebrews speaks of our faith in Christ, who is a better mediator than Moses, by quoting this passage in Hebrews chapter 8, chapter 9, and in chapter 12. And the grand bridge that connects Nanjing and Shanghai is traveled by train. And it's made up of many different sections all along the way to connect two cities that are completely impassable otherwise. And the Bible teaches us that the truly impassable terrain of our life is, of course, our willful neglect and our sin. And we deserve that judgment. And rather than 102.4 miles wide, the chasm is infinite. And Jesus Christ, the one who says, this is my new covenant given to you in my blood, he is the bridge that spans that gap. And every piece of that bridge all throughout points to the Lord Jesus and his work for sinners like you and like me. And God, he spanned the chasm of the bridge by his Son, so that we who were lost in dire straits might be able to go from the beauty of the garden lost by the fall into the holy beauty of the new Jerusalem, renewed and dwelt by the power of his Holy Spirit. But our faith, just like Jeremiah chapter 31, in this life is honest and it's real if it's in Jesus, but it's also incomplete, isn't it? And it is made complete when Jesus comes to make everything new. Just like this passage. So Jeremiah chapter 31, it is a comfort to our heart for the Lord's faithfulness to us. It's a comfort because it unifies and it sanctifies his covenant people. 
Jeremiah 31 points us to the one, the Lord Jesus, who secures our salvation, and Jesus becomes the infinite bridge that allows us to say that our sin is separated from the Lord as far as the east is from the west, that he forgets it because he poured out his wrath upon his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you can continue to see baptisms at Trinity and think, well, I, I'm not really there yet. That's, I just want you to say, that's okay. Come on. You're a crucial and vital part of our church. But it is these passages like Jeremiah 31 that show us that we do these because we believe they're biblical. And it's also these passages that help us connect these, spat, these, these chasms of the bridge because you all walk across them. And when tragedy hits your life and you back up and you go, oh my gosh, what answers the most fundamental questions of my life? You see that the bridge is one unified structure of which Jesus Christ on the cross with his arms outstretched in love for you says, I have come to redeem you from even the most tragic circumstances in this life, now in part. Though there will be circumstances in your life that take you to the dregs, now in part, and one day when he comes again to make everything new in full. So let's be a new, a renewed covenant people of God who take God at his word and believe God's covenant promises to us and seize them now as certain as we place our faith in him. And I invite any of you who have not yet placed your faith in Christ, would you consider the claims of Christ? And would you even this morning say, Lord, span the gap for me to satisfy me at the deepest of levels. Let's pray together. Father, would you take us and would you continue to remind us that you span the gap? <laughs> would you remind us, Father, that in the new covenant, we will all know you, but know you now incompletely. We will ultimately all know you completely when you return to make everything new. And this new covenant promise was fulfilled, of course, in the Lord Jesus, who became for us the bridge that spanned the gap. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to say even to us, faithless Israel, that you will forgive our sin and remember it no more because you poured out your just wrath upon your son so that we may rest securely in your arms and we may be amazed at the depth and the breadth of your covenant faithfulness to your people. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as a church to continue to be a people of your word as we look to your son, our living word, who gave his life for us. And may we live in the glory and the good news and the hope of his resurrection. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.